The reading today is from John 21, verses 1 through 19. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together was Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though they were not, and though they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, "Who are you?" because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. May God bless the reading of his word this day. Please pray with me. 
Lord God, in Scripture, we meet you in Christ. Flame up our imaginations. Inspire our hearts. Be with us this morning as we listen to your word proclaimed, that whatever it is we need from you, we will be open to receiving. I thank you in Jesus' name, and to his glory we live. Amen. Well, it's been a very big week for me. I don't know about for you, but it's also been a big week in the world, both internationally, nationally, locally. Lots of things are happening. I think about uh, good old Salt Lake. You know, we've made the news a couple times this week. How about your own homes? Big things happening? Well, ten weeks ago something big happened, and that was Easter. Where, how many of you were here for Easter? Oh, good, good. I'm sure it was spectacular. Um, music and flowers and high spirits, and knowing Curtis and Dennis and all the rest of you. The resurrection of the one through whom we know life was probably genuinely celebrated. The, um, the church that I serve is Wasatch Presbyterian Church, and you invite me here every once in a while. We had a nice crowd, too. And the pastor with whom I work, with whom I work there said, man, it would have been nice to have been a pastor in the 50s when churches were full like this every Sunday. <laughs> but it is weeks later, and the party's over. And with all that's going on in the world right now, it's not unchristian to ask, where is this resurrected Jesus who was let loose on the world? It's not easy to seal to excuse me to see or to feel Easter a week after, let alone months after. And so maybe you can identify with the men in, in uh, the gospel today. These men who escaped un, unscathed after the crucifixion. Where are they, and what are they doing with their lives? Well, they're back at work. It's Monday. Sunday may have been great, but no matter how great Sunday is, there's always Monday. Life seems to be strung um, between momentary religious highs where we know the music is just right and the spirit is there and we feel and we know and we believe. And then there's Monday. And you're sitting at your desk, you're folding laundry, you're taking kids to soccer, you're doing chores, you're at the grocery store, whatever. And then, uh, maybe the belief goes into a lower, lower tone. Well, the disciples have made it back from their long trek in Jerusalem. They're back to Galilee. And it was home for them. This is the place where it all began. And it seemed like a natural place to return after Jesus' crucifixion. Once everything had come to an end, where were they to go? So they came back. No doubt lots was happening in their world as well. The Romans were still in power. There was lots of political maneuvering going on. These guys probably had partners and children with whom they needed to you know, reestablish relationships. And then heaven knows they needed to go back to work and make a buck. Well, Scripture says that seven of them decided to go fishing. Now, this is not the sort of sport fishing we think of on a lazy summer afternoon. But this is the nighttime net casting of men who make their living corralling large nets full of fish. It's their occupation. Well, it was their occupation before Jesus showed up. You wonder. They had been through all of Easter. They'd been through the resurrection. How would it be possible for them to sustain their faith in his absence? 
They couldn't keep that high going. It's not possible. So you go back to the reassuring drone of everyday life and hope that it's going to be punctuated with moments of glory. So there they are. They are sitting in their boat, stretching, I imagine, shivering a little in the cool night, watching the sky change color as the sun rises up beyond those hills. And there they have empty nets in their calloused hands. And that's when they hear him. A stranger on the beach calls out unsolicited advice about where they're to throw their nets. Well, shoot, they haven't had any luck all night. Why not try it? What has become, or what was a dismal midnight failure has now become daybreak pandemonium. When 153 fish, I do not know the significance of 153 fish, <laughs> when, when their nets are full and bulging with this slippery, smelly load of squirming fish, they head for the shore and for a boisterous reunion with their beloved friend. Now, Peter... Peter, who has such a history with Jesus, he longs to see him again. He clearly has unfinished business with this guy. So he grabs a cloak, and he leaps into the water, and the rest scramble for the oars, and they catch up to Peter just as he hits the beach. And what all of them arrive to find is a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread, and Jesus who says in, I imagine, good Jewish form, Come, eat! Well, I feel a little bit like a General Mills commercial saying this, but breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. John and I had eggs and waffles this morning. Um, well, what could be better than, than this time? Can you imagine it? I mean, close your eyes. A crackling fire by the ocean. It's morning. Coals are glowing in the sand. Heat is rising in that cool air. The smell of wood smoke. Fresh fish. A little bread, maybe a latte. Mm, what a morning. Jesus came to these men in the morning. Night is passing, and a new day is beginning. A strange new world is taking form for them, one where the religious boundaries and what it means to follow him, even in this curious time with so much going on, what it means to follow him is being stretched now beyond their imagining. In our world today where... ISIS is claiming new um, religious leadership in the Middle East, where the Tenth Circuit Court stood up for justice, where a woman in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was excommunicated from her church for, being, for wanting to be a full participant. The religious boundaries that we know also are being pushed and stretched. It wasn't just way back then on the beach. The story in John is full of clues for times when we are figuratively marooned on the sea in the middle of the night, afraid that we've come to nothing. I think the first thing in the story is a suggestion that we should stay on the lookout for the way he shows up and to take the nurture that he offers. They had no idea when they went out fishing that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be on the beach fixing them breakfast. How implausible is that? How implausible is it when you in your own life has an experience of God, the transcendent present with you? Is it totally a surprise? Most often it is. Well, this is quite a story, and from it there are four things, if you're going to count, that we can learn about life 
post-Easter. The first one is, and it kind of pains me to say this, we'd like to think that church is where you meet God, sitting in these proper pews, sitting up straight, wearing your Sunday best. But it's just as likely to happen Monday at work or up hiking at Mill Creek or in the grocery store or when you're talking to your neighbor. One playwright says, and I believe it's true, at Easter, the tomb is empty and Jesus is loose on the world. He doesn't intend to remain boxed in for one measly hour on one day a week in one particular denomination. Pay attention tomorrow, June 30th. He might show up. The second thing is that the high of Easter experience is real. It was real here, and it was lavish and beautiful. But so is Cannonball Sunday. Do you know what Cannonball Sunday is? Cannonball Sunday is a Sunday when you could shoot a cannon through the church and no one would be hit because nobody's there. It's, it's the Sunday after. <laughs> it's the Sunday after Easter. We don't need to sit here and squeeze our eyes shut and try really hard to believe or summon some sense of Jesus into our experience as if we could. A life of faith is going to be paced with, with moments of high and moments of sort of cannonball emptiness. But the admonition in this story is just to go about your business, catching fish or doing whatever it is you do. As night passes and day dawns, at breakfast, on the horizon, in your living room, he comes to us. You know, you've come here away from the comfort of your Sunday morning when you could have spent more time with that latte or the New York Times or sleeping in. But you've come not necessarily because somebody has given you a convincing argument for the reality of God. Most of you have come because you have had an experience of the divine. And in this place, you tool up to know more about that experience. The risen Christ has come to us in many ways. He's come to that clear, still spot inside you, that life-altering moment or series of moments. He's come in a wave of real, let's start over again kind of grace. And he reveals himself to us. He does it again and again when you're a little kid, when you're a grown-up, when you're an older person. And if you've never had that experience, it's never too late. Well, here's the third thing. I do not know a lot about how mental health therapy works, but I do know a little bit about the healing of miracles and the finding of forgiveness. And as a pastor, I've had the privilege of watching some very deep unhealed wounds in people's lives be gently exposed and dealt with in love and prayer and people have been at last enabled to find healing to let that injury go that's one of the things that's going on in this story remember earlier in the Easter tale Peter Peter who insists loud and long Jesus I will remain loyal to you forever I will follow you to hell and back if it comes to that And then we watch helplessly as Peter tries and fails three times. He denies even knowing the Lord, and that happens in front of a charcoal fire, too. Once the cock crowed, you can imagine the shame and the anger that Peter felt. And now on the beach, perhaps slowly walking alone together after breakfast, Jesus questions Peter, 
Peter, three times. Peter, do you love me? Three times for his denials. It's sort of like a literary rewind. Three times for Peter to touch his own pain. Three times for Jesus to clear his agony with forgiving acceptance. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter says, oh, yes. And Christ gives Peter's wobbly love and gratitude something to do, something to help heal the hurts and the failures of the past and at the same time to bless the world. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Well, that's the fourth thing. When Jesus shows up for us at breakfast, at the stoplight, at the supermarket, whatever, Jesus doesn't just show up to love us. Jesus shows up to call us. We might want to plug our ears and just, you know, play Bach or listen to rock and roll or finger our prayer beads focusing on how wonderful it is to have a sense of communion with the divine. But he will not just leave us sitting there in the boat, swaying in the water. There is work to do. Every conversion to him, every one of our yeses to God's grace in our lives, has a flip side. There's a call to do work for him. These are not things for you to do to earn forgiveness. We got that? Nothing can ever do that. We are forgiven. We are loved by God's grace alone. You don't earn that. You live in response to it. And so Jesus is saying, in response to God's love for you, in, in response to the life that you have just been given, here's my call. Here's what you can do to pay it forward. No fair just sitting there working out some right theology or doctrine as though faith was some puzzle you have to solve. Jesus tells them and he tells us, if you love me, don't just sit there. <laughs> Feed my sheep. To the very ones who had earlier had forsaken him out of fear. To those who were nowhere to be found when he was arrested and crucified, he gave a call to discipleship and action. Their past failures at fidelity did not stop him from loving them, didn't stop him from continuing to entrust them with his most important work, that is, loving the world. Well, you all know this. This isn't a story just about Peter and the six guys he was with. It's our story, too. You and Jesus are taking that slow walk along the surf this morning. He loves you. He gives you that start over, a begin again to life. And when fear holds you back, his love calls you forward. What work is he calling you to do? Not me, not the person sitting next to you in the pew, but you. When he says, find a way to express your love for me, for the grace you have been given, what does that whisper to you? In what way are you to feed my sheep? <laughs> is the call to something small, something simple, or is it life-altering? Is it forgiving or going the extra mile and listening? Is it serving somebody who will never send you a thank you note? or extending grace because you have been blessed? Is it feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, teaching children, curing cancer, righting a wrong, admitting a lie? The risen Christ is here this morning, and he comes to each one of us 
He seeks us in some mysterious way. He has been revealed to us, and he's giving us work to do. It's not work we're ever going to have to do by ourselves because he's going to be there. Follow me are his last words to them on the beach. His first words and his last words to us as well. Follow me. In a world where there is so much happening, where the church and faith, that matter, for that matter, is not very popular, we still believe that that spirit has been let loose on Easter. And somehow it takes all of us by the back of the neck and says, Go, feed my sheep. Well, as I end, perhaps you will find yourself in this quotation from Albert Schweitzer. He comes to us one unknown, without a name, as of old by the lakeside. He comes to those men and women who knew him not. He speaks to us the same word and sets us to the tasks which he has to fulfill for our time. He commands, and to those who obey him, whether they be wise or simple, he will reveal himself in the toils, the conflicts, the sufferings which they shall pass through in his fellowship. And as in ineffable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who he is. Isn't that what we all want? To know who he is. He says, follow me. Feed my sheep. I'll be there.